This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS offices in WeWork Devonshire Square. I'm Sarah Kachansky from 11FS, and today's show is a chat about agricultural and commodities insurance. Um, I'm joined by some lovely guests. So first up, we have Richard Council, CEO of Stable. How are you today, Richard? I'm not bad, thanks. Thanks. Very good. Pleased to be here. Um, well, so could you give us a quick overview of what Stable does? Because we haven't had you on the show before. Yeah, no, uh, pleasure. Um, so Stable basically helps uh, agri-food businesses around the world manage uh, volatile prices. One of the biggest problems for 500 million farmers around the world. So we help them manage uh, with making hedging simple, basically. Brilliant. Uh, we're also joined by Hector Ibarra, CEO at Global Parametrics. Welcome to the show, Hector. How are you today? It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so could you also give us a quick overview of what Global Parametrics does, as we haven't had you on before either? So Global Parametrics is a financial intermediary that offers financial contracts for people that want to transfer natural disaster risk using what's called in the industry as parametric or index-based technologies. Brilliant. And we welcome back Matt Jones from Anthemis. How are you today, Matt? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, anytime. And last but by no means least, Nigel Walsh is back from his holidays. How are you today, Nigel? Relaxed, refreshed and knees deep in it again. I'm glad somebody's <laughs> relaxed. Um, all right, with that, let's get on with the show. So um, we're going to start with, with you, Richard, if yeah. you could give us a sort of little bit of background to Stable. So, you know... Not a, not a very common area of insurance sort of amongst the general public. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, how exactly. did you end up um, in this sphere? Oh, it goes way better. Uh, so, first of all, I'm a farmer. So, um, <laughs> so I, better, I better start there. Uh, you know, so I, I farm down in Somerset, down in the West Country. And still? Still, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. good. So, I, I work up in London until Thursday. And uh, and then I go down there and chase animals around and, you know, just... Who feeds yeah. them Monday to Thursday? <laughs> it's just, it's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> people at home, it's all right. So, uh, yeah, so I'm a farmer and, and uh, I have, but I've always had a software background as well and, and started life in the city for a little bit um, and really became utterly fascinated by trying to solve a big problem which in farming is all about um either the volatility of weather or the volatility of price and and that's typically why farmers are always pretty much grumpy um because uh one thing's either uh prices are either <laughs> dropping or terrible weather so um have always so, got something to complain there's about. always something there's always something so for us um it, it's super important uh to try and have a crack at this and, and do it in a very simple way that's designed for farmers and designed to be easily understood by farmers who may not understand even what they're looking at in this case. Exactly. Okay. You know, they're not they're not commodity traders. They're super busy doing other stuff and running around like me, sort of trying to find their sheep. And um, <laughs> We've got a solution for that as well, by the way. <laughs> so there's IoT for sheep. Right? It's got to be chat. They've got to be trackers. <laughs> so for us, um, yeah, we've got to make it simple. We've got to make it affordable. And we've got to make it low risk. These are retail small business owners. So we obviously have to adjust our product to those guys. And what's the biggest problem you're trying to solve for them? 
you know what? It's it's I love it because it is utterly fundamental. It's like you know, uh, what, commodity prices are unbelievably volatile. So if you're a farmer down there around us or anywhere around the world, it is truly not unusual for prices to vary by up to thirty percent within a year. So if you're trying to plan for the future, if you're trying to invest, if you're trying to think about your next generation, or frankly keeping the lights on, that is almost impossible to deal with uh, unless you've got very deep pockets. So us yeah and um and how did you work with global parametrics do you guys know each other i'm guessing well, well actually i'm i'm a big fan from afar because when we were we've been at this for three or four years and jerry skis uh, um that, that hector works with super kind of uh, academic who is really into this space so we shared some similar interests when we we're right at the early days so yeah it's very cool to have us both here from <laughs> weather and also the finance of farming so, so from, a, from a weather perspective, how does that feed into the kind of products that, that Rich is talking about? So you need, you need to understand what the, the, the insurance challenges are when you're trying to do agricultural insurance to to have a picture of why we're using these new technologies. I, I started my career in agricultural insurance by pure conscience. I promised uh, my friends that I, wa- I didn't want it to be in insurance. I want to be a banker, very Everyone sexy. Everyone says that, by the way. No one wants <laughs> to be in insurance. And then suddenly I, I, I end up not only doing agricultural insurance and, and starting in Mexico. And, and one of the things that you realize is a very complex product to operationalize. So if you're doing traditional crop insurance in countries like Mexico, yeah. and there is an event and you need to send a loss adjuster in the middle of the jungle or places where there are no roads. or I mean, we even had people that were threatened uh, with their lives that if they, they had to sign the loss adjustment. So it's, 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 uh, in a traditional way, doing insurance the, the traditional way, like if there's a loss, you call me, I send you my loss adjuster, looks at the field, assess the damage, and then tell you how much to pay. That's the traditional model. It has tremendous problems, and it's historically... Uh, most of the systems have created tremendous losses for government. So uh, coming back to, to Richard's point, the founder of GP is an academic that was trying a different approach, this idea that through science and through very objective way of uh, reference the losses, you can basically define in the contract how you're going to pay. So if it's the rainfall or if it's uh, another measurement, it has nothing to do with what's happening on the ground. So it's pre-agreed. So it's, it's pre-agreed that if a certain amount of rainfall happens, then the payout will be X. Correct. Everything is contractual. So you basically define the variable. It has a payout formula. There's no loss adjustment. There's, that's, that's the nature of what parametric insurance means. It's simply means. done with rating table basis. So either one around hurricane, for example, distance of hurricane with links back to category of, of the actual storm or whatever else as well. Correct. Really straightforward. Um, and life-saving as well, though, right? If you think about um, maybe rainfall, but the other one is lack of rainfall. So we looked at a thing a while back with um, parametric insurance on the seeds, for example. And all these things are now starting to pop out. I was say crop out. Pop out. Um, <laughs> that would have been a nice pun. That would have been terrible. Uh, but all these things are starting to, to, to come out in the market now to help people or remove the fear of doing it in the first place. So they generally are changing lives and, and countries in this way. But I guess, you know, we, we all went with a dream that it was very attractive to to make these products available. But I've been in this for two decades and I travel around the world. When, when you have to rely on weather stations that are maintained by local services that they don't have budgets. Yeah, I have even placed automatic stations in places like Uruguay when I was in the World Bank. They, they were abandoned because the government didn't have any budget. So it, in principle, it can 
can make uh, uh, the insurance for weather more attractive, but it's still not operationally trivial. And also, like a lot of places in Africa, they don't have weather stations. Yeah. Mm. So I think what we have moved, we moved past this, uh, let's call it first generation, and now we are moving to a more sci- more like uh, computationally scientific base where we, we model the data. It's a little creepy because it sounds like science fiction, but uh, that's what you're doing. Basically, rather than having a station measuring the weather, you're basically estimated by looking at science, basically. And, and where does the sort of the index insurance come into that? So that's what you mentioned at the beginning. So what, what kind of index are we talking here? It, it, it could be something as simple as as uh, rainfall, mm-hmm. or it can be something more sophisticated as an estimate of soil moisture. You can measure it through satellite. You can estimate it through through different scientific methods. So there, there are different variations. But ultimately, it's got to come down to that, the quality of the index. There is so, as Hector was saying, there is so much opportunity here. But if you can't, if that index is not independent, unless you can trust it, unless it's got a certain amount of uh, quality to it, it's, it's such a frustrating roadblock. And, and Hector's side on the weather is actually much more complicated than our some more simpler price, where there is much more availability on agricultural prices. So it enables us to scale a little bit easier. So it's almost access, it's literally access to data, right? And it's almost, the opposite of when you, you go down you look at a lot of the personal lines of insurance and you go you know, it's my particular data from my Fitbit in this instance we actually don't want that we want a much broader spectrum of data from which we can make accurate generalizations exactly right exactly right I, 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 this is a, a, a broader question for you both though if it's so simple and we've made it so straightforward why hasn't everyone got it now and I, I know it's a million dollar question or a hundred million dollar question but if parametric for weather in agriculture or what you're up to at stable mm. is so straight it's so fundamental why hasn't everyone just gone i need it and i need it now well maybe matt wants to answer that was there a gap in the market that's maybe spotted here yeah so we first met rich back in mid 2017 i think yep. it was yeah, exactly. and at that point you were i still i think probably at the beginning of the journey oh huge um, yeah and hadn't at that point signed up the first risk carrier that was going to put their neck on the line and really say, actually, we'll, we'll back this. And it's, you know, when we consider whether we're making an investment, a lot of insurtech startups today have got risk carriers in place before they raise venture funding. Yeah. And when we, when we met Rich and when we started diving into the opportunity, we really saw that there was an enormous protection gap in this space. So just to kind of give credit to my old employers. So back at Swiss Re, they've been talking about the protection gap for years. And it's often applied to things like life insurance, where people don't buy because they just often don't understand. But there are a lot of people flying without a net. And when we started looking at farmers and you know what they were having to be exposed to, not just financially, but also in terms of anxiety, the, the mental health issues that surround not having certainty around your financial results. We thought that was an enormous opportunity that, that we wanted to get behind. Farming's always been there, isn't it? Farming's always been a little bit... It's, it's so risky. Yeah. Yeah. So they <laughs> Absolutely. Are, they're gamblers. They are true gamblers, um, farmers. I think people have this flawed impression, like when my best friend's parents are farmers, of, of you know, uh, this idyllic retirement to a farm <laughs> where life is going to be easy and stress-free yeah. and all no, I've ever seen it's farmers be. Have you seen it? <laughs> <laughs> Look at these lines. I mean, this is 21, for God's sake. It's been a tough few years. But who else would do that? Who, who would take a punt and... And plant something in the ground, not knowing what someone else is going to yeah. decide to pay you. Yeah. As a price taker, that is just a, a weird business model. But before before you met Anthemis, though, did you know this was going to be an insurance product? 
No. Because that's, that, it's an interesting, po- interesting point about startups. And I agree with you. Most of them will have um, a carrier behind the go. We know it's an insurance product. We know we're fixing this particular issue. Validation. Right. So, yeah. But it feels yeah. like, or it sounds like, there was a a business challenge and an opportunity, but not necessarily a known way to fix it with an insurance product that would fix yeah, the gap. That's, it's a really good way of putting it because ultimately all we wanted to do is come up with an entirely new way to transfer risk. I have no insurance background whatsoever, but actually it was out of talking to literally thousands of farmers and like, how do you want to transfer this risk? You can trade it over an exchange or you can sell it to an insurer and pay a premium and absolutely loud and clear it came back, even though it's price they came back and, i wish we could insure it and that's really what we started well, but, 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 because as you say trading there aren't that many farmers who are who are trading experts no. so we'll trade it that requires a lot of the time for you either to have deep pockets to hire somebody to do that for you yeah. which generally speaking farmers don't have yeah. or to understand it yeah i mean just to come back to your question why are is if it's done so so uh transformational just for the record the the parametric part solves the operational cost of it but it doesn't solve the the risk per se. Mm. So if you are, if, if your risk is too high, uh, that doesn't change your risk profile. I was working in Mexico, and I can tell you anecdotically, the government was always trying to give what they call catastrophic protection, mm-hmm. and this was supposed to only trigger when they lose lost like seventy percent of their of their uh, of crop, which is like your total loss. In a lot of areas, that was happening one in every three years. Wow. And why is happening that? Because people are growing that because it's, it's more a social protection strategy than a commercial protection. So people get confused. These people do not have the way to internalize that cost of risk in their in their profit and loss. Some of the times they're not even monetizing that crop. So I think the part of why insurance is not only the technological, but people forget the risk part. And, and they say, oh, if we solve it with, through technology, the take-up will be there, the market gap. Is, it hasn't been like that. That's a problem. Yeah. And it sounds like also farmers weren't necessarily aware that this was a thing they could have. It's never been there before. That's yeah. also a point, yes. But you're, uh, also, you're also coming up against you know, insurers on the other side, where in our world, this is actually financial engineering mathematics. It isn't traditional actuarial mm. science. And that, that, for us, took a very long time to bring those two worlds together. Can, can you and explain t- that a bit? Well, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, and it took us a while to understand it as well. Yeah. I, I remember when we first started our due diligence process and we sat down and we thought, how the hell are we going to figure out what we do here? <laughs> and as part of our process, often we bring external experts in to help us with the due diligence. And sometimes it's a little bit easier. You're finding a cybersecurity expert or you're finding an expert in some line of business. And then this one, I so remember... How do you feel? Who do you hire? They, I'd be curious because yeah. there's not a lot of expertise. Yeah, you look at it, and we had at one uh, at one stage in the early days, we had Harvard, Liverpool, and Lisbon University, five professors and twelve PhDs, because we were rewriting the very fundamentals of how you price risk in untraded markets, like you know, uh, like Chicago and Paris. There is a price for milling wheat, but how do you help a Mexican avocado farmer? How do you price that risk? Because it cannot be a traditional actuarial model; it has to be done from the ground up entirely differently. And that's why it took so long. So you've actually built an entirely new model that takes the data in and processes it and, and uses different yeah. formulas and to calculate risk in a way that hasn't been done before. Ever, ever, ever. And that's that's been I mean, both terrifying and incredibly exciting. <laughs> talk, talk us through the process for the end user then. So you as a farmer, how do I then go, how do I get to the process of putting my, or, or buying buying stuff at a price? 
Yeah, well, I mean, as soon as you put it in insurance, I mean, I, mean, I, I, love, I love insurance because it's brilliantly boring. We love it too, don't you we? Know, <laughs> it is kind of, but it, in my world, I have to, sim- I, I obsess about trying to simplify something that's inherently complex. It's like financial hedging. But actually, as soon as you put it in insurance, we just get to ask a farmer three questions. So we're talking like, how much do you want to insure? I don't know, 10 tons. For how long? One year. And at what price? Well, I know, £100 a ton, $100 a ton. And that spits out, a, it, just like insuring your car, it gives you a monthly direct debit fee and, and you either like it or you don't. It is that simple. And what's the shortest term you'll insure and the longest term you'll insure? Three months to 12 months. I'm, trying, I'm trying to work out what the... Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> okay, so three months is the shortest term. Yeah. Why would I insure something for three months? Um, well, ultimately, we have to do a lot of work in terms of insurable interest. Yeah. So, you know, we are very close to, you know, in derivative terms, we would be close to like a put option for farmers, yeah. but we are, have absolutely wrapped it in insurance. The, the really exciting thing about farming and lucky break for us is that we know a lot about farmers. So a farmer has to register and we query that against government databases and co-ops to make sure they're a real farmer with a real risk. And then they have to tell us about their farm. And so they can only, in other words, ensure as much as they could reasonably produce on your own farm. And we block them from, from over-insuring. From, so can I insure it three or four different times at different prices? Uh, you, yeah, you can. Yeah, exactly. As long as the total amount is not more than your farm could reasonably insure. And that's crucial. And that 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 had the lawyers in a, in a, hot, <laughs> a hot spin for many months. <laughs> but but just, just to add to the price, the problem on the weather side, you can develop the model looking at history, but conditions are changing. Yeah. yeah. So the problem you have is that it, it doesn't matter if I develop the best model to think what uh, the last 100 years happened. The reality is you need to look at things are changing and you need to make an assessment of how that, that changes are going to affect in the short term. So yeah. it doesn't matter the actuaries and you need to involve the scientists and you yeah. need to make a lot of subjective judgments. The weather has changed so much over the last few years that yeah. what we used to call 1 in 250 or 1 in 25 is now yeah, exactly. it's all thrown out the window, right? And to your point about why isn't why aren't parametric products for used even more in the industry how many insurance companies have got all of those skills that Hector's just talked about under one roof well some of it's literally future telling like you know at this point when you're looking at weather as we said you know there is actually rather you have as much data as you like for what's happened historically but that actually isn't much use to you because you you can't actually what you actually need to be doing is looking at the climate change uh, or the you know I'm going to assume we all believe in climate change for the the benefit of of this discussion you know looking at what those experts are predicting will happen and trying to calculate you know taking in all those predictions because again if you're looking at predictions you can get you know one that it's a, a million miles off another and trying to find the middle ground. So I, I work as an underwriter and portfolio manager. So I'm the, the, the bad cop that challenges the team. And now it's always like this, like, what's your historic view? How much do you understand about the local conditions? Have you looked at uh, scientific journals that explain if this area is subject to certain things? You have to go through a process and you still know that, that they're going to be probably scratch the surface. You're trying to, you're trying to get them to make good judgments, but honestly, you're always looking at a very a, a subset of the problem and there's always full of surprises. So that's what makes weather and pricing volatile, 
there is not a market. The, the, the difference between the prices that one people and there are offering is, is very wide. So that, that's what makes this market also very uncomfortable for the client. If I go to an insurance and say, I want to buy this, and they give you a price X, and they turn around and say, well, this is 3X, they get very nervous. Why is this so much variability? They get mm -hmm. uncomfortable. There, there are a lot of uncertainty. So all this adds to why the ecosystem of buyer and sellers are not there at the table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To put that in real numbers, this uh, um, here's some stats for you. Every 14 days, we run 62 trillion simulations across all of the data, so five algorithms, <laughs> and it requires a supercomputer to deal with it. It is a staggering uh, amount of data science well, to so on the on the behind the scenes to serve up those three simple questions to farmers because there is to Hector's point unbelievable amounts of variability in what's going on. So who's who's provide is that your super you know who's providing the power for that at a, at a basic level? Yeah, we level? do. Yeah, we do, and and we got a, a EU grant to use a supercomputer up at say, Liverpool. It's um, not like you can just borrow one of those no, 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 or hire one exactly. for the week. It's quite cool actually. It's an it's Xbox cool. Four with a super chip on the side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is about it, it's called Blue Jewel up in Liverpool, and the, the good thing is about it, it breaks down all the time. <laughs> and you can get, you can go up there and. And, and uh, I was up there once and talking to an engineer, and they were like, um, "Yeah, what do you do when it breaks down?" He was like, "Yeah, we turn it on and off again." Yes. Sorry. Actually, have you read the? the it's going to be out of topic. Have you read the book uh, Origins from Dan Brown? At the end of the book, it's in, in a supercomputer that is inside a church, and there's a symbology of science and 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 and. Uh, IT coming together, but that's in Barcelona Supercomputer Center, and that's where we operate. So that's what I'm just mentioning. But just to give you an idea, you start to learn terms like petabytes and and all these things and the amount it's not of in Ukraine, right? It's a real yeah. thing. It's a real thing. I, I mean, the, the, just like uh, I'm sure with price, but with weather models, you you are feeding uh, a, a lot of uh, computing power just to get some simple answers, and and sometimes you're only looking at the problem locally. You're not even looking at globally. Yeah. So, so I mean, we talked quite a lot about weather, but does stable sort of fa include other, other factors in your model? So, you know, I, I was we, we sort of came up with a couple between ourselves. When we're not farmers, but sort of things like you know, if you have an outbreak of, of foot and mouth, I mean, yeah. do you do you do you offer products to livestock farmers, and, and how do you handle those kind of what Every, other products? Everything would factors in. If you think about African swine flu that's having just currently having a massive impact in China, never even heard is, of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the price of your bacon's about to go super high, <laughs> and that's a huge thing, and that's rolling across. Before I came here, I was talking to a whole bunch of farmers in. Denmark and uh, the guys in America as well are seriously worried about this. So it's such a global business. And, and as you say, those real world factors, those disease, the uh, political uh, and that kind of stuff has enormous impact on yeah. price. So, so what, I mean, what, what kind of other factors are we talking? So this disease is kind of an obvious one, I would say. And you get disease in, in, in crops as, as well. Yeah. Um, you know, but what else are we? What else are we talking so about it here? All, so it, it fundamentally, a political, of course. It all comes down to demand and supply, and okay. it's such a delicate balance. And they, if the economics guys would say it's inelastic. So it's it's a bit of a shocker, really, because if the price comes down, we don't necessarily run out and eat loads more bread. And yet, as a farmer, if people stop liking bread, I, it takes me a year to do something about it. And 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 it's that mismatch that fundamentally will and always will cause uh, a volatility in prices. And interestingly, I bet the media has a part. 
part to play. I was just thinking, what are, you know, all these talking about. Expectations, of course. Yeah, exactly. like, you know, low-carb low diets or what was that? Christmas. Well, what was that news the other week that if you eat more than one rasher of bacon a week, yeah, you're going to get bowel cancer so. or something? It has a huge impact. But, but yeah, but that must, as I say, yes. Yeah, it does. And dairy at the moment is a massive thing. And, and, and people are really worried because it doesn't take, uh, you know, it only takes 1% of us to, you know, to cut dairy out a little bit. And that has a huge impact because but, you cannot turn the, the wheel of the tank. But the timing here is interesting as well, though, because if you look at some of the big supermarkets, they'll all be stockpiling for various different reasons, whether it's Brexit or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but they'll all be stockpiling far, far in advance of it being farmed and stuck on your plate within, you know, three to four days. It's much, much, yeah. the, 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 the cycle is much longer than that, isn't it? It is. So how, how, how does that get factored into things? Well, ultimately, what you think in, in what you call soft commodities, the grown commodities, you've got a real problem there because you can't stall them. It's not like insuring uh, metals or, you know, you can just buy a warehouse and fill yeah. it up. You know, if it's milk, you've got a, you've got a real problem. And it's not that, they call it like fungible. It's not the same. It's very hard to trade milk. Mm. Um, so uh, for us, you know, insurance is a much better solution because you can only trade something if it is identical to something yeah. else. An ounce of gold is the same as an ounce of gold somewhere else. Whereas avocados, whatever, full of lots of different But some of those things you'll deep freeze. Some of those things you won't, you know, some of those you'll super deep freeze. Yep. And some of those, those things you won't. So you might have got this year's turkey, for example, <laughs> which would have been produced three years ago or two years ago yeah it, it helps there's stuff you can do yeah but my goodness is it has some serious volatility there but behind the scenes but my brain's confused just thinking about the different factors that would go into <laughs> producing a pint of milk and whether it'd be drunk or not um so i mean we, we talked about uh, parametrics and we sort of touched on their um some of the, the technologies that might be used. What other, so we're talking about, you know, data is one side, but what else is being used to maybe gather new types of data? You know, one of the things we were talking, you mentioned there is if, you know, something happens, you have to send somebody out to and to look at it. I mean, we've seen in other particular types of insurance, we've seen drones being used quite a lot. Um, and we've talked about that before on this with sort of seed sowing and things. Are there any other technologies that come to mind that are really helping you guys do this other than supercomputers? So, so, so <laughs> actually, uh, we, we participated in, a, in an accelerator event in Nashville, and we, uh, we saw some fascinating company. There was a company called Climacell that is estimated rainfall from the signal of the cellular. They're not actually seeing rainfall from the perturbation of the, of the wave of the phone. They're estimating how much rainfall there is. So they're not, not, nobody's measuring rainfall, and they're getting all this rainfall in places of the earth where we used not to measure. That was just to give you one idea. One of the things that I have seen a lot is uh, they, they get a lot the farmers like... Uh, uh, Photographing, they're using photographs to get like local conditions, and they compare it, and they're doing these big data operations and fitting into the way they're measuring. I mean, I, I or or putting these low cost sensors. People are being very creative about how to originate data. So if you look at the startup uh, ecosystem of people trying to bring technology into the sector, it's growing very fast. I, th I think also we mentioned earlier the, the 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 price of IoT devices coming down as microchipping sheep, which was a joke, but actually you have got the connected cow. It's a real thing. <laughs> it is a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. <laughs> You're right. IoT for us is incredibly exciting. Any any really, there's this basis risk when you're talking about indexes, i.e. they are amazing. They can help us scale. They can help us save money. They can help us be more efficient. But if that index is different to what the farmer could actually expect to receive or pay, that's a massive problem. And where you can use technology 
technology like IoT or whatever it might be to close up that basis risk yeah. and ensure precisely the real risk, that is game-changing. Because coming back to the earlier point about why hasn't parametric taken off, quite often that basis risk mm-hmm. that is really a big factor. You, you can't, I mean, so we, we describe parametric as a little bit um, if this, then that, like, like a rule, you know, you, you set the conditions in advance. And, you know, we, we've talked about it on this show before with, with travel insurance, which is quite an easy one, because if your plane doesn't take off, then you get a payout. But there are so many sources of data that says that EasyJet flight did not leave Stansted. That's an easy win. So you can set those boundaries. But with here, what we're talking about, and you're talking about is using different ways of being able to set those boundaries, which which must make the insurers and people like yourselves happy, Matt, if you can make these more and more accurate as you go along. Absolutely. And the opportunities just get bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I think the other thing I would add is that it's not just technology that is that is making these new that's generating these new opportunities it's also things like cultural change right people are more accepting of buying policies on the internet now um and you know we so we're seeing things like that also have a big impact not just the tech but my, my head's spinning at the moment thinking about a secondary exchange for insurance products that could apply to anything in theory so take stable out of the equation or take take the industry out of the equation and then to start to apply the same logic, technology, broken down computer in Liverpool um, to other facets of the industry. And all of a sudden you start to create secondary markets in different places. Yeah. You are in essence a Lloyds of London for um, agriculture in this instance, aren't you? And, and we've started thinking about that. And we've we've been meeting with entrepreneurs that are also thinking about that opportunity. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for that to play out, but it's going to happen at some point. What's, what outside of agriculture would be an obvious kind of you, you know use for this model or next step for I this mean, for model? For us, we really get approached by huge insurance companies who are looking. I mean, you take out of agriculture, insert the word. I mean, still commodities, but mm-hmm. insert gas, insert metals, insert right. You name that thing that we are every single business in the even in the UK is buying and exposed to. As long as there is an index, in theory, we could absolutely it's, protect them. It's almost a supply chain. It's, it's supply chain insurance. Yep. So th- when I looked at what you guys were doing, the way I looked at it was airlines will hedge against fuel cost changes yearly in advance or whatever else and buy in bulk, which is why I said to you, can I buy at different prices for multiple levels just in case I can start to hedge my bets in different ways? I was intrigued by the fact that you can't go above your natural output of said field or um, uh, or, or anything else. Because that's, that's also interesting. You could actually play the system and reduce your profit if you wanted to <laughs> it just becomes a, a game in that way, doesn't yeah, it yeah exactly it, it, it is well, it's gambling it, we've just said it's all gambling <laughs> well, well rich has been asked this question a few oh, times, a, few times. <laughs> a lot of qcs are very happy with this question because they're going ah oh, excellent a few more fees it's unbelievable how much we've had to dig into the legals of because we truthfully we are right in that intersect mm-hmm. between finance and insurance so just for example we don't sell insurance per se we're, we're documenting as derivatives because we sell a lot of pro- protection that is indirect so we have a lot of people that is buying protection for what happens to the other. Right now, we're talking very narrowly on crop insurance, like, okay, I grow a crop, I have an insurable interest. But in, in our world, I work a lot with the, the, the uh, food security community, you usually lose from what happens in your neighboring country because that cuts the supply. So you're buying not insurance on your land, you're buying insurance on what happens to your neighbor. So that expands... Even like non-agricultural people can also buy insurance to what happens on the field. Because if you see what people get most impacted, it's not actually the farmer. You look at the statistics at the non-rural poor, 
in, in the community. So if they, they can also hedge themselves. So you open the door for people, and that's no longer insurance because there's no insurable interest, but you come into the concept of who can transfer the risk outside of there. And we get outside of the insurance world. This is a pure financial hedging, and it's a different regulatory framework, but it's the same idea, and it are the same tools. It's just very clearly hedging as well, and that's going back to that original point of kind of like the only option to farmers previously was to hedge, yeah. which is, you know, I understand some people considering it a widely understood uh, mechanism. I mean, it's, it's not hugely widely understood. Um, but it is, you know, it is, it is that intersection. Yeah. It reminds me of the, um, there's a story about BMW and how they make the Mini over in Oxford. And they use just-in-time manufacturing, of course, and whatever else for getting parts to the factory there. But they actually monitored the traffic from all the trucks coming in through all the major trunk roads. And they, they're doing this almost in real time to say, if that doesn't come from over there at the right time because of an accident on the M40, we then slow down production at a cost of X per car right. or X Mm. But we're starting to get to a place where we can actually go, I can now ensure the supply chain of vehicles not making it here because there's going to be an accident at three o'clock on the M40 during the school rush hour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no reason why they should be exposed to that risk, given where tech is going. Yeah. So, so that leads me nicely onto my next question, which was, um, I'll, I'll start with kind of the future of agricultural insurance and then we'll go a bit broader. But sort of, you know, w given where we are now, we've, we've sort of agreed it's quite, this, it's quite nascent. Um, what, do you, what do you think you're looking at? You know, what's your dream scenario for the next sort of two to three years? And, and what else do you think is going to come into play here? And you can take that to five, ten years. I'm not going to see. I just want. I just want kind of your perspective on the future, kind of what's next, if you like. Yeah, for us personally as a business, yeah. I mean, we're trying to effectively make hedging as simple as like an e-commerce, like a sort of Amazon experience. Because actually, if you can go in and click any commodity in the world, and and literally by the end of this year, we're hoping to have a thousand on the platform, and you'll literally be able to add it to your basket, take a selection, and 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 check out. That's how simple we want to make hedging. Because the truth is, yes, we started with farmers, but what was fascinating is when we went to talk to the bigger food companies and the manufacturers and the processors they were like dude we don't understand this either and so there was that was the moment for us that, that changed the game and we it's realized. walking into lab books and saying what's the bet that Watford will win the FA Cup final on <laughs> the, end of, uh, the end of the month yeah exactly but but, but but it is what I what I take from that actually is that it's not really the future of insurance insurance itself is changing so we're not we're not looking at kind of oh you know we're just going to add some new tech and make the old methods more accurate which we do talk about quite a lot on this show the ways and, and there is still a place for that to, yep. to make the you know but whilst those insurance companies are struggling to keep up finding new ways for them to absorb data and making their own underwriting more accurate it still has a valid place yep. but it sounds like what you're looking at is that sort of you know in the long run we're not going to have that type of insurance anymore no. that's not going to be how we do it we're going to recreate the models from the ground well, it's, up it's yeah. a good question so so as a farmer I understand through news and whatever else that the profit margins are getting tighter and tighter and tighter what do I stop buying if I buy this what, what do you stop buying? Yeah. Do I, does this replace something that I have today? No. Or is this additive further than squeezing the profit margin? Actually, all we're replacing is them self-insuring. That's them just basically sitting back going, farming's tough. I'm going to have bad years and I'm going to have good years. And all we're saying is, hey, if you're going to invest in the future, because this is, back to Hector's point, agri-tech, ag-tech, is there is so much good technology yeah, coming. Yeah. And for all of our futures, we need to invest like crazy in increasing sustainability. But those bits of kit, that, that technology is incredibly expensive. But it's the equivalent of key man insurance. Yeah. If I can't work on my well, own you farm. you can't invest. Right, so... 
yeah, in the really future. You've got to invest in the future if we are going to create more with less. And that is utterly fundamental. And that's what I love about this industry. It is not tinkering around with pretty apps. It is fundamental. And that's incredibly exciting. But it's still additive to the overall process, but it, it's protecting the downside, which is what insurance is there for in the first place. Yep. But it's additive. So you could argue that it reduces my overall profitability, but protects the long-term gain. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You've got to have certainty if you're going to invest in your future. It's, it, it's always been the case. Well, you guys are on the, the, those are two gentlemen to my left, gentlemen to my right. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on kind of either, you know, what was the future of, of the industry that you work, you work in, Hector? And then, and then Matt, and I've asked you this like three times in three weeks. So <laughs> do you want to try and think of something quickly whilst Hector speaks? So, so we haven't coordinated for, the, for this answer, but we have a similar view. We have like this, but we're just looking today at the beta version of our system. Basically, anywhere in the world, you point and click, you get the statistic of whether you can, you can basically buy. Uh, uh, and there's buyers and sellers, so it becomes like a marketplace. That's technologically you can you can create this this global uh, uh, interactive uh, place where people can come and buy protection. So it's similar to what you're what you're seeing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah? And, and then you can use that for, for anybody who wants access to that data. Then what you're selling is actually you're then selling a commodity to somebody who wants to use that data for whatever and purpose they need. But this, this goes beyond agriculture, though, because of course you then with with IoT and sensors and weather data, you start to go. Do I lay concrete for the foundation today for the building, or do I sow seeds today where we think there's going to be a storm coming in two days' time or a day's time that will wipe it all out again? So there's already things that exist in um, Syngenta or whoever else is out there that would say, actually, what is it we could do and when's the best time to do these things based on the insights that we've now got? I mean, there's there's a whole corporate planning and uh, business interruption and strategic angle to this that goes beyond traditional agricultural yeah, insurance. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And then I think one of the things that we talk about quite a bit is this topic of embedded finance and, and insurance going invisible. And I think building on what Richard said, what I would like to see is this kind of policy being integrated and almost automatic. So maybe it's my bank that takes care of it and they're figuring out, actually, this is the level of insurance that I need and it just happens in the background. As a farmer, why should I have to think about and educate myself about why insurance? Why combined commercial policy? So part of your combined policy, you get your key man, you get your cyber, you yep. get your um, stable protection and so forth. And it's all bundled together like a, a bot product in the, in the States. I mean, yeah, I think the problem that, I think whilst we, we all like, we like the idea of the problem we're still seeing is how do you bundle it in such a way that a the protection is adequate and b people understand what they're getting and i think that's the problem that's or not make been it go solved away. So or, yeah because actually what we're doing is working with the banks so that they're saying hey we'll lend you the money to buy your tractor or buy your whatever it might be and if the underlying price drops below this price we'll make that loan interest free and so that is fascinating that is the absolute intersect of finance and insurance and yes it's indirect mm -hmm. but for a farmer who is about to invest in the future or whatever you know, the industry that is that is an incredible exciting area run that by me again so i like the idea so <laughs> okay <laughs> I get, but why would the bank make the tractor free of charge it's not going to because we are insuring the bank so if so if they've basically gone um uh okay we'll lend you 100 grand and uh you're a dairy farmer if the price of milk drops below 25 pence a litre or whatever it might be yeah, yeah, yeah. that trigger triggers an insurance payment to the bank so the bank can say to you hey your loan is now so your customer is a bank free. not you exactly. yeah. right, it okay. goes back to the if this then that yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. if this price drops then that triggers the bank which triggers the farmer it's just a exactly. I was just trying to work out who the customer was in that instance because in, in the same way you can have key man insurance doing the same for if 
farmer gets damaged in in accident yeah. in middle of that field. Yeah, exactly. Then yeah. then automatically have all these things going forward. Yeah. That you know, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. So if you want me to rack, rattle the table, uh, please don't literally more, rattle the table. Don't rattle the table. <laughs> we actually don't even sell retail insurance, and the reason is is because. Uh, we have found that the, if you pass the hedging at a, at a more corporate level or at an intermediate level, the, you, you are able to, to create the hedging down the stream much more efficient. So where I'm, I'm actually not selling policies to individual farmers. I go to microfinance investors. I go to, uh, to the International Financial Organization and we, with programs that includes hedging, but there's not even an insurance policy. Some of my clients are passing their resources as as not even uh, like convertible loans within the organizations. I mean, re the regulatory burden of operating in insurance is also expensive. So if you want to think about how to optimize and scale up, you need to rethink how this hedging comes into the business models of credit, financial services, agribusinesses, humanitarian sector. So that's even going one step above. Forget about the technology. How do you create the entry points of these products so you create scale, but also down the stream, they get a cheaper access to this hedging. That's this, a this separate is, conversation. This is the point about um, parametric insurance on seed because you're taking away the risk of doing it in the first place. So in developing countries, your microinsurance becomes a really, really interesting point to go after. And I think we're going to leave it there. Fascinating as this has been, this has been, Nigel, we have done that one before. Deal. Um, but I think actually this has been a really interesting uh, conversation from my perspective because I had no idea about any of this to start with. So I feel like I've been very well educated and I hope our listeners do as well. Um, that wraps up this week's show. So um, if people want to find out more, because it feels like this is a conversation that, that could go on for, for many, many hours. Um, Richard, you know, where can people find out more about you or about Stable, do you have a website, yeah, Twitter so handle? Stableprice.com and I'm a, a fintech farmer on Twitter. Oh, that's fabulous. I like yeah. that. Uh, so that's, that's my that's my favourite Twitter handle. Of that is recently. awesome. Yep, I agree there. Hector, oh how about goodness. you? Uh, you can find the, about global parametrics is globalparametrics.com. Brilliant, Matt. Do you want to give us a recap of your contact details? Yeah, if you're working on anything related to the future of risk, you can get in touch with us at anthemist.com. Perfect, and Nigel. At Nigel Walsh on Twitter. Brilliant, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. So that wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you to all our guests, Richard, Matthew, Hector, and Ryan. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>